Last night at our, at our service, I asked everybody what was the best part of their week, and we had some really great testimonies, and then I challenged us all to change our perspective that the best part of our week wasn't really the best part of our week. The best part of our week was that aspect of our week that we wish wasn't part of our week, that aspect of our week that we thought, what's going on in my life right now? It's called a trial, it's called a tribulation. It's called a a point of suffering, and sometimes when we walk to that point of suffering, when we listen to the voices of perhaps self-help, we think that we just need to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and figure out the three steps or the seven steps to a better life now, but the problem with that is that self-help voices function under the premise that all circumstances are under our control, but when we walk through the shadow of death and we walk through suffering and we walk through sorrow, oftentimes circumstances are completely out of our control, and the only way we're going to get through the suffering is if somebody bigger than our circumstances is more in control than our out-of-control circumstances. And so, if we listen to the voice of self-help, we get frustrated. If we listen to the voices of prosperity, we get discouraged. And they'll say, you just need to believe harder, because God is here with all of these blessings, and if you believe a little bit harder, you're not going to have car trouble, because you're not going to drive anything that's a 1996 or 2004, anything. You're going to drive a 2018, whatever it is. You just need to believe harder, and you'll be prosperous. What the problem with that is that it's just completely unscriptural, because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And if we listen to voices of faithlessness, we grow discouraged and we grow disheartened, because the voices of faithlessness says, hey, you're on your own. You better work it out. You better figure it out, because you're getting no help, and you are on your own. And if we listen to the voices of condemnation, we grow weary and we get discouraged and we draw away from the only one who can help us through it, and that's Jesus Christ, because the voices of condemnation say, you're getting exactly what you deserve, so you better brace yourself harder, because a lot more is coming right around the corner. So today, I want us to walk away from the window of viewing our life and our sufferings through these false voices, and let's walk over here and view them through the, the, the window of truth in Scripture, which says, God loves you, God still loves you, God is with you, God is working all things together for you, and your point of suffering is not the worst part of your week. The circumstances out of your control that if you could change them, you would, but you can't, are not the worst part of your week, but the best part of your week, because those are the opportunities. Our suffering are the opportunities for God to reveal His glory into our life. All throughout Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, there are two threads woven throughout Scripture of God's people. These two threads are our suffering and God's glory. And our suffering are the opportunities through which God's glory can be revealed in our lives. And that's the subject of 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's pick up with verse 12. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, and we read, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial When it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. Have you ever been there? A fiery trial descends upon your life, and you think, what in the world is going on here? And we go on in verse 14. Not only don't be surprised, but watch this. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Did you see that? There's a very intimate relationship between our suffering and God's glory. And all throughout the pages of Scripture, our suffering and God's glory are intertwined. And so the best part of your week wasn't the best part of your week. The best part of your week is that aspect of your week that if you could change, you would, but you can't. And it's a trial, it's a tribulation, it's what Peter called a fiery trial or tribulation. It's what David called in Psalm 23, a valley of the shadow of death. It's what Paul called in other places of Scripture, our suffering. Because that's the window of opportunity that God's glory is going to be revealed in your life. And I preached this last night. And it was a very encouraging service for all of us. And I left frustrated about aspects of circumstances that I wished were different. And then God, he, he arrested my attention. And he said to my spirit, this is exactly what you were just preaching about. This aspect that you just got frustrated about, this is where I want to work in your life. This is where I want to reveal my glory in your life. Trust me with it. Now, there is a handful of reasons that we could find ourselves in suffering. One, we could find ourselves in suffering because of our own sin. Have you ever been there? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And there is a consequence to sin. There is a consequence to stepping outside of God's will. And that is suffering. It's death. It's physical death. It's spiritual death. But then even as followers of Jesus Christ who've been resurrected from death and have eternal life, there are still consequences for our sin. We're still the child of God and clothed in His righteousness, but if we step outside of God's will, there is a law in effect, the law of sin and death. You might not believe it, but you might not believe in the law of gravity, and if you jump off of the building, you're going to realize the reality of the law of gravity. And if we walk inconsistently with God's will, we're going to walk in self-imposed suffering. That's why the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We fear being outside of God's will because we know that we'll experience suffering as a result of it. The fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, and love are just evaporated from our life. Spiritual momentum dissipates. Sometimes we, even as followers of Christ, experience incredible suffering because of our own doing. As I've mentioned before, some have experienced frustration in finances because of disobedience in the area of something as simple as the first 10% of your income. And God says, trust me here. Let me bless your life as a result of it. And it could go on and on as far as the area of disobedience in your life that invite frustration into your life. So some of the frustration in our life is the result of our own sin. Some of the suffering in our life is the result of sin from people who are close to us. Have you ever experienced suffering and sorrow in your life, not because of your sin, but because of somebody's sin who is close to you? I have a friend who um, has some friends and family in Louisiana, and the deputy was making a routine stop before he went home to his wife and. I believe seven-year-old twins. 
And he walked up to the window. He was a deputy, and this guy rolled down his window and shot him in the head, and he killed him instantly. That guy's sin caused incredible suffering into the lives of many, many people. And they're still experiencing the suffering because of his sin. Sometimes we experience suffering because of our own sin. Sometimes we experience suffering because of the sin of people close to us. And sometimes we experience sin because of satanic attack in our life. You have an enemy. He hates you. He loathes you. He despises you. And that's putting it mildly. The Bible says you have an enemy, the devil. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's looking for opportunity to devour your life. And sometimes we experience suffering because of direct spiritual attack from Satan or a host of demons. And sometimes we experience suffering in our life because of the mysterious sovereignty of God. And sometimes we experience suffering in our life because of a combination of all of the above. We sin, somebody close to us sins, we're being attacked by Satan, and in God's infinite wisdom and master plan and His sovereignty, He's allowed that suffering to slip through His fingertips in our lives. When Peter is writing this passage, he's specifically talking about the suffering that enters our lives as a direct result of following Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we're following Christ and we experience sufferings and we experience frustrations, or we walk through some sort of valley and we're like, God, where are you? I'm following you the best that I can. Jesus, he responds to that in scripture by saying, look how they treated me. And if you follow me, they're going to treat you the same way. To follow me is to be friendship with God, and that's to be an enemy of the world. And the church in northern uh, Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, these five churches that Peter is writing to, is about to experience an incredible onslaught of fiery suffering as a result of following Christ, as a result of being baptized and building up the church and honoring God with their finances and reaching out and blessing people and sharing their faith with others as a result not of their sin, but as a result of their righteousness, as a result of following Christ. They're about to experience, as Peter calls it, a fiery trial. And I believe this is quite literal because Peter is writing this from Rome and he's peering through the shadows and watching the, the, the movements of the emperor at that time, Nero, who was sadistic, he was insane, he set Rome ablaze, he despised Christians, and he dipped Christians in boiling oil and set them ablaze and put them on posts to be human torches to light his garden. He made human torches out of Christians to light paths throughout Rome as an example of what awaits anybody who follows this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth who was crucified on a Roman cross. The church is already experiencing persecution. They're about to experience even more increased persecution. 
And Peter writes to them and he says, the first step in weathering this storm in a manner that honors God and that you're able to persevere and endure through it and that God's master plan will culminate with his glory being revealed in your life, the first step is don't be surprised. Let's read it again in verse 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, you can look at it like this. A football player is out there, and they, they pass him the ball, and he catches it, and he's running, and then some guys just hit him. I mean, and knocks his helmet off, and he lands on the ground hard, and he goes back to the huddle, and he says, that was crazy. They're actually hitting out there. And then they throw him the ball again, and some linebackers just pound him, and he falls to the ground hard, and this time he's upset about it, so he walks off the field, and he goes to the sidelines, and he says, coach, that's crazy. We're just trying to make our way down the field, and they're out there hitting They're hitting this hard. I'm not going back out there. How ridiculous would that be? Or can you imagine a boxer coming out of a ring and he throws off his gloves and he tells his trainer, I'm not going back out there. That guy's actually hitting back. In training, I'm hitting a bag and it doesn't hit back, but that guy's hitting back. I'm not going out there. Or soldiers coming off the battlefield and going to their sergeant and saying, they're shooting back at us. And in the same way, Peter says, don't be surprised. It's a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We're in a spiritual war, and when we decide to follow Jesus Christ and pray and believe and seek Him through Scripture and stand upon Scripture and shine at work and walk in righteousness and turn our back on the world and reach out to people who are lost and dying and build up the body of Christ, we're going to find that we have an enemy, and he hits back. And Peter says, so don't be surprised when that happens, as though something strange were happening to you. Again, as Jesus said, look how they treated me. So if you follow me, you better believe it. They're going to treat you the same way. Whether it's through direct circumstances or whether it's through spiritual forces. And sometimes when we wake up, we say, am I having a bad day or is this spiritual warfare? And I think that we should take more seriously the reality that it is spiritual warfare. It's not just a bad day. We have an enemy. He loathes us. And so Peter first off says, in relation to the fiery trial that we're walking through, don't be surprised by it. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. God's not distant. God's not absent. God hasn't forgotten you. God's love for you hasn't grown cold. God hasn't lost attention of what's going on in your life. Jesus said, your father has your hairs on your head numbered, not counted, 6,052 or however many it is, not counted, but numbered. So when hair number 73 falls out, he knows it was hair number 73. That's how intimately acquainted he is with all of your ways. God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. So don't be surprised by this trial. And in God's sovereignty, He's using it for His glory. Because it's our suffering that is the opportunity for God's glory to be revealed in our lives. As we go on in verse 14. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And I want to share with you three ways God's glory is revealed in our suffering. Are you suffering? Do you have sorrows? 
Do you have struggles? Do you have disappointments, setbacks, failures? And it doesn't even really matter how you got here. Was it self-inflicted by your own sin? Was it inflicted upon you by the sin of somebody close to you? Is it spiritual attack, the mysterious sovereignty of God, all of the above? It doesn't really matter how you found yourself in the midst of your suffering. What's important and what's beautiful is that you're there. Because God's glory is revealed in suffering. But what we have to do with our suffering, however we got there, what we have to do with our suffering is entrust it to the Lord. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, here it goes, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So it doesn't matter how we arrived at our point of suffering. What matters is is that we are there and God's glory is revealed in our suffering and we entrust our souls to our faithful creator while we're here. And the way that we entrust our souls to our faithful creator in the midst of our suffering is to expect three promises in the midst of this suffering for God's glory to be revealed. The first is this. To the depth you suffer, to that depth you will know Jesus. Let me repeat that. To the depth you suffer, to that depth you will know Jesus. You see, we talk about God on the mountaintop. But we talk to God in the valley. And it's in talking to God and leaning on God and trusting in God that He carries us through the valley so that we can proclaim His goodness in the valley and on the mountaintop that He delivers us onto. To the depth you suffer, to that depth you will know Christ. You will never know Jesus more deeply, more more profoundly than a depth in which you have suffered. You just can't. I love education, but education will never be our credentials to minister to someone or to know Christ. I think seminary is great, but seminary will never be a credential to know Christ more or to minister like Christ. I think eloquence is just fine, but eloquence has no place in knowing Christ or ministering like Christ. I think money is fine, but money is never a credential to know Christ or to minister like Christ. Our credential that fuels our ability to know Christ is suffering. And we will never know Him more deeply or profoundly than the depth in which we have suffered. So are you going through a situation that you didn't plan? If you could change it, you would, but you can't, so you're weathering it. This is the window through which God wants to reveal His glory and make Himself known to you. My Aunt Ruby married my Uncle Fred when she was 13 years of age. They did that way back then. Well, Uncle Fred, he used to brag about the fact that he never worked for another man in his entire life. He was quite an entrepreneur. In fact, one time walking across our front lawn, he bent down and he picked up, I believe it was a nickel, and he held it up and he said, huh, I make money everywhere I go. (laughs) And he put it in his pocket, and he did. He was a great entrepreneur. And when he retired, they just traveled around visiting family, blessing family with spiritual wisdom, blessing them in in practical ways, loving on family, just pouring into them. They were a really wonderful couple. So needless to say, when Uncle Fred passed away, it shook a lot of people's security, especially Aunt Ruby's. They were well into their later years when he passed away. 
So I was coming back from Colorado, and they lived in New Mexico, so I cut through New Mexico and went to go visit Aunt Ruby and Clovis just to check up on her. This is about two weeks after Uncle Fred passed away. And so I was visiting with her in her living room, and I asked her, so how are you doing? And she said, oh, Jesus has been so good to me. She said, I was driving home. I pushed the garage door opener. The garage door opened. I drove inside. I pushed it again. It didn't open. It didn't close. And she said, Lord, Fred used to fix this kind of stuff. You're my husband now, so I need you to fix the garage door for me. And she pushed the garage door, and she said, it just closed. She said later she was working on a curtain rod, and she was trying to get one end to go on top of the other, and it wouldn't. And she said, Lord, Fred used to do this stuff. You're my husband now. I need you to do this. And she said it was like an angel had his hand on each side of the rod, and it just slid on top of the other. And she said, thank you, Lord. She said the Lord fixed the vacuum cleaner for her also. She knew Christ that intimately through her suffering. She knew him in a way that she wouldn't have known him otherwise. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ, don't we all? And the power of his resurrection, don't we all? And, he goes on to say, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You see how knowing Christ and sufferings have an intimate relationship? And a depth of intimacy with Christ goes hand in hand through our sufferings. So then we shouldn't despise our sufferings, but we should be excited about how his glory is going to be revealed in the midst of them. Ruth, through her sufferings, knew God as her redeemer. Rahab, through her sufferings, knew God as her forgiver. Gideon, through his sufferings, knew God as his deliverer. Ruth knew God as her redeemer. Moses knew God as his power. David knew God as his forgiver and righteousness. Solomon knew God as his wisdom. On and on and on. You're going to know God in a powerful way, a personal way, an intimate way because of your sufferings. We just have to cry out to him. Because our sufferings enable us to release our pseudo-strength that we would never release of our own volition. So uh, God allows a shake to come into our lives so that we release confidence in the flesh and we embrace Christ and we know Christ more powerfully than we ever would have otherwise. That is the truth. I can testify to the reality of that. So we can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings because one, God's glory is going to be revealed in it because to the depth we suffer, to that depth we will know Christ. Secondly, to the depth that we suffer, to that depth we will look like Christ. Paul goes on in Philippians 3.10 after he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and being conformed into his likeness in his death. It's through our sufferings that we are refined into the very image of Christ. A metal worker puts silver in the furnace and it's refined seven times. And it's refined seven times in the furnace because the metal worker is burning off all of the impurities and he knows that it's refined when he can see his reflection in the metal. And in the same way, God will allow us to walk through sufferings, burning off the inconsistencies from our character that are inconsistent with his, so that Jesus can can see his reflection in our face. And a lost and dying world can see Christ's reflection in our face. And the church can see Christ's reflection in our face. So that people are drawn to his love and his power. And thirdly, 
We are allowed to walk through suffering because to the depth we suffer, to that depth we will know Christ, to that depth we will look like Christ, and thirdly, to that depth we will minister like Christ. As Paul goes on in Philippians 3, 10 and 11 to say, and some, somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. Through our suffering, we are going to walk in the resurrection power of Christ. In actuality, Scripture says that It's not just that we are going to know Christ, look like Christ, and minister like Christ to the depth that we suffer, but we will know, look like, and minister like Christ to a depth exponentially deeper than anything that we suffered. The Bible tells us, Paul says, that I suppose that our present suffering will not compare to the weighty and glorious power and blessings that it's achieving for us. He's not saying that you are going to experience the glory of God in spite of your suffering. We are going to experience the glory of God because of our suffering. Our suffering is achieving for us. And our suffering in Scripture is defined as light and momentary. He's not making light of it. But he's saying in comparison to what our suffering is achieving for us, when we compare it to what it's achieving for us, the glory of God that's going to be revealed in our lives, I suppose this present suffering is light and momentary. You know what we try to do sometimes to make ourselves feel better? We try to compare ourselves to people who have it worse off than us in order to feel better about us, in order to feel super blessed. Now there's just something really wrong about that perspective. For example... You need to be encouraged. You need to feel blessed because there's starving children in third world countries. So, you know, count your blessings. Isn't there something wrong about feeling better about our life because somebody else has it much, much worse? We're not to compare our sufferings to one another's sufferings. But we are to compare our sufferings to the glory that our sufferings are achieving for us. And when we do that, we will see that the glory that our sufferings are achieving for us are so weighty, they're so monumental, they're so profound, they're so beneficial that our present sufferings are light and momentary and it's not even worth comparing. And we have that to look forward to. For example, how much glory would God have received in Daniel's life if God saved Daniel from a hungry den of bunnies? Or how much glory would he receive from David's life if David went up against this wimpy kid named Waldo with his sling and and, and rocks? Or how much glory would he have received from the Israelites if God split the waters that were like two inches deep? Not very much. And so when you walk through monumental suffering, it's an opportunity to expect monumental glory to fall into your life. And so... When you leave here and you think, you know what, these are encouraging words, these are awesome words, it's a great perspective, and when you leave here, you're going to be tempted to immediately be discouraged and be frustrated about some circumstance in your life, and let the Holy Spirit arrest your heart and arrest your attention and say, that place, that's the place that I want to reveal my glory into your life, there. Because it's through that suffering that I am going to reveal my glory. And you will know me. You will be like my son Christ. And you will have my resurrection power to minister. You see, in order to minister to me, you have to have had to have gone through something. Now, you you don't have to have had to walk in my shoes and been through exactly what I went through. But you had to have gone through something. 
in order to experience a depth of intimacy with Christ, in order to look like my Savior when I look at you, and in order to, and, and in order to minister to me with a supernatural anointing and power, you had to have gone through something. You've had to have weathered some storm and clung to Christ to be able to testify in order to minister to me with any sort of depth and anointing. And in order to minister to you as if Christ were standing right here in my place with the same healing, anointing, liberating, authoritative power, I had to go through something. That's our seminary. Not a school, not an institution. Nothing wrong with them. Suffering is our seminary. That's what equips us. That's what prepares us. That's what refines us. We have an example of that. Adam, if you would come on up. Adam's a great friend of mine. I've known Adam for many, many years. You guys give it up for Adam if you would. I've known Adam for many years, and Adam's gone through some suffering, and he's going to tell you about it. And the whole time Christ has walked with him, the whole time Christ has proven himself to be a faithful friend in Adam's life. When I see Adam these days, I see Adam, but really I see a whole lot of Jesus in him. And it's because of the suffering. There you go. Jesus and I, in 1988, I was three weeks from getting married. And I'm away to work in the morning. And drunk on cocaine with no insurance. Hit me head on. Kept the rice out of my head in. Paralyzed me. Put me in a coma and life support for a month. Said to the doctors that would never come out of a coma. But I think they were wrong. Well, I know they're wrong. Well. It was too expensive for me to be in the hospital. So they sent me to a nursing home in Alberto. I was there six months. Learned how to walk and talk and eat again. I need parade food and what was that yummy? Sister called the pond scum. Well, I was in a wheelchair for two years. Learned to walk again. And learned to talk again, too. My, my fiance stayed around. For a year and a half, two years. And then she dumped me and got married a couple weeks later. And it was hard, but God is good. And I know he's got somebody else out there for me. I can't, I can't express to you how much Jesus loves y'all. He's been so good to me, I can't believe him. 
I couldn't go on, but uh, I'm forgetting. My memory's been less than a minute long. It's getting a lot longer now. I love y'all. I gotta cry. Thank you, Adam. All right. Let's give it up for Adam again. Let's give it up for Jesus, who raised Adam up. Thank you, Adam. Adam, they said he was going to die. They said he wasn't going to walk again. They said he wasn't going to talk again, breathe again, eat on his own again. And he's doing all of these things. And there's Jesus in him. And the entire time through, he knows Christ more and more because of it. So, would you guys stand with me, please? Cassidy, you can come on up. Did you realize that you cannot have a victory without a battle? Unbelievers look at their battle and they say, what a tragedy. Believers learn to look at our battle and say, what a testimony in the making. In addition to that, our victory is in direct proportion to our battle. Our victory will never be any larger than our present battle. So if you're in the midst of a battle, it's because God has singled you out. He's setting you up for a victory. What is your battle? God is setting you up for a victory. God is setting you up for a testimony so that His glory can be revealed in your life. But there's a handful of things that you've got to learn to do as a follower of Jesus Christ when the enemy comes against you like a flood, when you're walking through suffering, there is a tendency, I've really seen a pattern. It's a, I don't know if it's a new phenomenon or not, but I think it's an ever-increasing pattern in our culture, in our generation, in our day and age, in our context here at HopeWorks. If you go through a battle, oftentimes I see people run off and isolate themselves. Just like an ostrich, just run off, stick their head in the sand, wait for the trial to pass, and then they come back and act like they're just a perfect Christian, like everything's going their way, thinking that's going to minister to people, or that's the way that the kingdom of heaven rolls. You can't do that. When you go into a battle, you need the body of Christ with you. Commit to being here. Commit to worshiping. Commit to pouring your heart out to Christ. Don't think you have to put on some perfect pretense. On top of that, you better have community. Whether it's a home group, whether it's deeper, whether it's a Saturday morning group, you better be involved in community where people know that you're going through a storm and they put their hands on you and they pray for you and encourage you. Don't you dare think that you are spiritually elite enough to be able to weather any storm by yourself because you're not. I remember through one of my most difficult battles when the enemy came against me like a flood. What does that mean? That means from every angle, all at once, an onslaught, never ending, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. You want to know what I did? I started a prayer ministry just for me. <laughs> and just for people to come out and lay hands on me and pray for me. Why? Because I'm not spiritually elite. I needed Christ. And I know that God honors humility. 
So if you're going through a trial, don't run off like an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and think you'll just come back when everything's perfect and put on your, your perfect Christian game face and try to just minister to everyone like, you know, life is, is all great. No, show up for church. Worship Christ. Experience the Spirit of Christ rise within you when in the midst of your suffering you worship Jesus. Invite a deep, close-knit community into your life. This is what our Lord did on the eve of His crucifixion when His heart was sorrowful unto the point of death, when He was sweating drops of blood because He was praying with such anguish over the cup that He was about to drink. He goes over His disciples and He says, watch and pray with me. He tells Peter, James, and John, my heart's sorrowful, watch and pray with me. He implores them a handful of times, pray with me. Are we any greater than our Lord Jesus? Are we a better Christian than Jesus? We need community. Not just because of your storm. We need it to be obedient to the Word of God, period. But especially because of our storm. We'd better be in community. You're like, well, I'm just not like that. I'm just kind of a lone ranger. Then you're a disobedient Christian. You need community to grow because even if you did have it all together there's others you need to minister to but especially because of your storm you need community and it's not a place where you just go and just try to put on a perfect place face you you share your struggles you let the body of Christ pray over you encourage you and strengthen you and then open up the word every day it's your lifeline Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Open up the word. Seek the face of God. Let his words resonate in your spirit. Hold on to a promise from God's word. This is how the word becomes active in our life and is stronger than the storm that we are enduring, is that we read it, we believe it, and we cling to a promise that the Holy Spirit gave us for this storm. You have to cling to the word. You have to believe the promise. You have to hold on to Christ. By believing His promises for your life, for your season. And that way the storms come against us and we can laugh at them. Because we know the outcome. God will be glorified in our lives because we've read the promise. And we're holding on to the promise. Sometimes people would say, does Shane not know what he's going through? Or does Shane not know about it? Yeah, I know, but I'm clinging to a promise. I know how it's going to end. And so I rejoice over it. And so we have to cling to the promises of God. We have to pour our heart out in prayer and walk in a spirit of prayer daily throughout the day. And then God uses this beautiful, intimate process so that we know Christ more intimately than we ever have known before. We look more like Jesus Christ and we minister with resurrection, anointing, and power. It's the truth. So cling to Jesus. God's glory will be revealed in your suffering. I'm so excited to see you testify of God's goodness in your life. So would you bow your heads with me, please? How many of you are in a storm right now? How many of you are walking through a valley right now? Just raise your hand high. All right. I want you guys to praise Jesus as we continue on. You can come present your body a living sacrifice here at the altar. But as we enter into this worship, I just want you to praise Jesus, not because of the storm. We don't praise Jesus because of pain specifically, but we praise him because of what we know God promised to do in the midst of the pain, and that's to reveal his glory into our lives. James chapter 1 verse 2. This is not an isolated verse. This is a 
biblical principle. James chapter 1, verse 2, rejoice in your sufferings, knowing it produces, this tribulation produces Christ-like character in your heart. Romans 5, 3, and 5, 3 through 5, rejoice in your sufferings. And here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 17, our text, rejoice in your sufferings. Don't be surprised. Rejoice in your sufferings. It's a window of opportunity for God's glory to be revealed in your life. You will know Christ. You will look like Christ. You will minister like Christ as a result of your suffering. It will come and go, and His glory will be revealed in your life. And so, as we worship, worship Jesus with this promise in mind. Your suffering is an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. It will come and it will go and you will stand and God's glory will be revealed in your life. So let's praise Christ because of this promise.